Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell. Got a couple things to talk about and a couple important things to talk about on today's show. Uh, the first thing we're going to get to is Jerry Moorhead's comments last week. Uh, comments about the 2020 season. This is the Georgia UGA president. And uh, th- this guy... I'll say, for, I'll say from my experience with him, um, a guy that's uh, kind of a, a a hedger a little bit, I would say, a guy that you know really isn't speaking about things in a in a certain light. If he really feels that way, and and uh, we're going to kind of break his comments down about the 2020 season, about what he had to say about fans and his optimism concerning the season, and and uh, could be good news. Maybe get into some other stuff that the, uh, some other schools are doing in that process, and then we're also going to talk about. Uh, recruiting and, and the fact that Georgia's kind of got some momentum on the on the two four seven sports crystal ball with several guys and several key guys and and uh, really going to let Kip and Rusty kind of spill some knowledge on us here because they're they're a couple of the best recruiting guys when it comes to covering the University of Georgia that you're going to find and they've been that way for over a decade now. I mean these these guys are the best and uh, I can't wait to kind of hear what they've got to say. And uh, we're just going to jump right into it. And and Rusty, you saw Jerry Moorhead's comments. I'm sure you kind of saw what he had to say. And uh, I just kind of wanted to get your take on it. What, what did uh, what did that say to you? Kind of hearing a guy like Jerry Moorhead, an academic, uh, a a, yeah. a guy that you know is probably spilling over all of this data, say that he is optimistic that there's going to be a 2020 season. It's going to be on time, and there are going to be fans in the stands. Well, the biggest thing I take away from it, Jake, what you're kind of leading into there is Jerry Moorhead's a decision maker. He's going to be a guy in the room when, when, when it all gets down to like, hey, are we going to bring these students back? He's going to have a very, very powerful say and maybe the final say. So for him um, in late April, early May, to make the comment he sees us starting on time, he sees students back in class, uh, they feel like um, – the data is probably pointing towards uh, that that solution. Now, I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know how students are going to sit in classes. I don't know how all that's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to pile in 96,000 people in a 100-degree day and everybody's sweating all over each other. And you can't be six foot apart anywhere in Sanford Stadium on a game day, period, unless you're on the field as a referee. So, you know, for him to say that and knowing this is not just a, a – media specialist this is not a guy giving his opinion on espn this isn't jake kip or rusty giving an opinion this is a very very powerful individual uh in in his position at the university of georgia and for him to say that uh, i think that he has been in contact with other guys and i think the plan is unless anything changes uh let's we've got all summer they're probably doing all kind of stuff to plan uh to get uh, these students back on campus to get these athletes back on campus and to have these games on time. So, uh, you know, we could talk for hours and hours on what your opinions are. I think when you peel it back and listen to what he said, that is a very, very powerful uh, person to make those comments uh, to anticipate football season on time and students on campus. Uh, Kip, I'm, you're the one that kind of alerted me to to this podcast. Uh, it, it was on the Tim Possible podcast with with local Athens uh, radio personality Tim Bryant, a, a guy that uh, on 
honestly, I've heard his voice for years and years and years and uh, couldn't put a face to it. If you ask me to, uh, WGAU and, and a guy that I felt like did a really good interview with with, uh, with Jerry Moorhead here, you're the one that alerted me to it. Uh, what were your thoughts on kind of what he had to say? Well, I mean, it's understandable that he would be optimistic and hopeful about having a relatively normal football season. I think the the key here is that it's better to have a plan in place and, and then, you know, change course, pivot if you have to, than to not have a plan in place and then try to decide at the last minute, you know, to bring everyone back. Now, this is the way that they should go about trying to do this. Now, I think, you know, there is a possibility for a, a positive domino effect here and, and maybe – in July, we got football players on campus again and working out. I think that that's kind of where they're trying to, to see if this can go in that direction, just based on the fact that the conference hasn't extended its ban on, on team activities past the end of May. Uh, it, I think it's interesting the fact that they did call off summer camps through July 31st. So I think they're, they're still going with the expectations that all possibilities for this season are on the table. It could go in a good way. It could take a bad turn. I think we uh, we don't know what the effects of everything are going to be two, three, four weeks from now. But I think you know his his comments about how he expects the game against you know the season opener against Virginia to take place. Or that was those were Greg McGarity's comments. I, I think those are interesting. Just combined with this, I think that you know that's the expectation for them right now is that they're going to start making plans for that kickoff game. And, and so uh, there there's so many possibilities for how that might take place. But I, I think right now it's just it's important for them to have a plan in place to continue to get as much info as they can and to just prepare for any scenario. So right now I think. Uh, we're getting to a, a situ, uh, you know, a place where they can be comfortable trying to test certain things out and and just go from there. I I just think that it's a good outline right now of how we might get at least a form of football this year, and, and you know potentially a, a a complete season in, in the fall. So you know I thought it was slightly encouraging. I, I was a little surprised with just how how much he gave in that interview and just, you know, how uh, positive he seemed to be about the fact that Georgia might be able to, you know, to have a regular college football season. Kip, I ask you a question. You know, Let me ask you a question here, Jake, buddy. And Kip, does he say, now I'm not trying to put words in his mouth or anything like that. Does he say something like that to try to calm people down about worrying or does he say that with, you know, I didn't listen to it. I read the, the quotes from you, but, does it sound like he's confident in that, or is that one of those deals where you think he's like, listen, let's just calm everybody down and quit worrying about it for a little while, and we'll make that decision later. There's kind of two different ways to look at it. I was going to kind of get your interest on your take on that. Well, for, for me, when I look at it, Rusty, I, I, was, I was surprised. I, I'm with Kip and, and what, what Kip brought up. I was, I was surprised he expressed any sort of optimism because here's the thing. If, if you do that and then there's not a season and – or, or you get to a point in July and and they you know late July and they call it off, then I mean, 
the the blowback from that is is has a chance to be significant. Maybe everybody's understanding. Maybe everybody's just kind of like frustrated and upset in, in such a way that they're just down about it and they're not really looking to lash out anybody. But that's a guy that, that may get an email from from a you know a few hardliners out there who are thinking, well, hey, listen, back in May you said that there was going to be a season. You said it was you were confident there's going to be a season because we all know that. When you say things, when you write things, it doesn't matter how clear you are about what you're trying to say. Some people are going to take it their own way. And, and you know, I, I felt like he kind of left himself up to that interpretation. That's kind of what, what took me aback. I, I don't think you say that trying to calm people down because I don't necessarily know that that, that has really uh, any place. I don't know how, how effective that's going to be. Uh, but but at the same time, like he could have had his own reasons for it, and 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 maybe you know misguided. Maybe he's a genius for saying it that way. Maybe he is actually calming people down. I just don't get the value in trying to calm people down. Come back, you know, like you said, we're gonna be, we're gonna revisit those comments. But all in all, that is a very very powerful individual, and that's good news for me for all of us. Everybody that wants football season, that that was good news to have somebody like that kind of on the table the way he was. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it was. It, Go ahead, Kip. There was some salesmanship involved for sure with what he said, I think. But you know, and knowing that they're again, college football just economically drives you know the bottom line at, at a lot of these colleges. So, I mean, you you have to make every attempt within reason to have this college football season for for a lot of reasons. But again, financially speaking, it's super important. But I mean, at the same time, I think that. Knowing that there's just so much time before a real hardline decision has to be made, I don't think there's a lot of harm in saying, guys, uh, you know, we're preparing for a college football season because why wouldn't we be? You know, that nothing has been put on the table to where we are not going to have college football. One thing we're not going to have is spring practice. The one thing we need to have happen is for players to be able to get back on campus safely in June or July so that we can have a full fall camp at this point. And that is the next step that they need to be preparing for. And if that is not able to happen within that June, July uh, time range, then I think, you know, his statement, his what he says will will definitely take a turn in his statements down the road. But here, as we record this at the beginning of May, nothing has really come into play that would affect you know, the college football season from not being able to occur because we're still in such an early stage of returning back to a, a form of normalcy right now to where you just can't make a decision like that. So why would you speculate on having to call off a college football season right now? It's it's more on guys. We're preparing to try to be able to do this. We're taking every step and we're going to be as safe as possible I think that's, I mean, again, that's salesmanship, but it's it's accurate and smart salesmanship as well. Yeah, I just feel like maybe you sidestep it a little more if if you're if you don't have any sort of inkling that it's going to happen. But I'll say this: it was good news to me personally, and I don't know if anybody else out there has felt this way. But my biggest like cringeworthy scenario was us getting to mid-May or right now, early May, or maybe even to the end of May, and 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 the NCAA or the SEC or whoever going ahead and making a decision. I never really thought it was going to happen, 
but I always kind of braced against it kind of in the off chance that it would just because I, I didn't want that. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person I'd rather hold on to. And listen, I want this season to happen as, as bad as anybody, okay? Like I love going to – this is this is my year. The, the even years are my favorite years because I get to fly to Lexington, Kentucky, and I get to go to – uh, I get to go to St. Louis and cover Georgia there. I love both of those places. Uh, I, you know, Georgia's going to Alabama. It would have been the first time I've ever been to uh, been to Tuscaloosa and, and kind of gotten to do that game. So, you know, this is a lot of fun for me in a, in a lot of in a different way. And also, it just resembles a not resembles, but it, it signals a return to normalcy as far as covering practice and and being involved and things like that. But I was just – I'd rather hold on to that for a while, the, the possibility of this happening. And I'd also – I don't want it to turn into one of those, uh, you know, days of school that gets called off the day before and, you know, you end up with, with the weather not being you know, nearly as bad as you thought it was and, and all of a sudden you're thinking, well, you could have gone to school. And, and so I didn't want all of that to happen and a decision to be made prematurely. I never uh, – I always kind of thought that they would wait and, and wait as long as possible to make that decision. But it also kind of was comforting for me to know that, like, all right, here we go. These guys definitely are going to wait. And not only are they going to wait, but a, the UGA president with an opportunity to kind of sidestep the question and say, I don't know right now. Uh, you know, we're still going to talk about it. We're going to look over the data. We're going to be, you know, this driven and that driven. He says – optimism he says expectation he also says hope which is you know kind of a kind of a qualifier in that whole thing but 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 I thought that was interesting and he also said and this is something else I want to talk about that the number one key and this is something Kip kind of t- kind of touched on number one key is getting those guys back on campus and uh Rusty you and I both know Kip we all know that uh that before those guys are able to return to campus I mean, there's going to have to be a universally agreed upon protocol and some money spent to make sure that they're keeping these athletes safe and to make sure that they're getting these athletes tested and and monitored and and, and just about everything. You also can't really rush the conditioning aspect. Again, if they're coming in and let's just say July, they get, I mean, these guys aren't sitting at home just not doing anything, but it's just not the same as that off-season strength and conditioning program. And so I'm interested to see which school, I mean, the injury standpoint, but just how, you know, they're going to be trying to, to get their system implicated, obviously, with Georgia, you know, a new offensive coordinator trying to put all that into place while also just trying to, to get these guys up to par with what, you know, they would con- be considered normal at this stage of the off-season program. So that's just something that I, I'm going to find, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see July, August, uh, you know, just what kind of shape all these guys show up, show up in. They're all going to be in better shape than we are. But, you know, how is this, you know, the quarantine, how has it affected everyone as far as that physical development's concerned? And then you got that incoming freshman class as well. So they're going to they're going to have a lot in what could be a shorter amount of time. And, and so that's obviously going to be a factor. But again, we'll, we'll take that right now if it means, you know, we get a college football season. And, and listen, if you don't if you don't really put a whole lot of stock into the conditioning aspect of it, go back and, and watch Kirby Smart's uh, congratulation video to Isaiah Wilson. And Isaiah Wilson's first day in camp at Georgia, they run, I think it's 16 110-yard sprints. Uh, 
they expect the guys to be a, a ready to a certain extent right away. Now, they, they tailor that and they differentiate that to different guys and make sure that everybody can kind of get through it. But, I mean, Rusty, you know, uh, I mean, it's they expect a lot and, and they're not going to be able to expect that same amount when these guys immediately return to campus. There's going to be an acclimation period. Um, I, I'm in touch with a lot of high school coaches and, and, you know, Georgia has a mandatory acclimation week when they, when high school football, even in normal times, uh, in camp settings, but there's going to be acclimation from the NCAA. There's no question. They're not going to just let them, it's going to be a time frame Probably when they come back, they can only do so many hours a week of conditioning the first five, six practices, something like that. So, you know, I talked to high schools, so I know colleges are doing this high schools do i'll just give you an example rome high school rome high school sends out workouts to their players uh things they can do without weights things they can do with their body bands those types of things during the week on saturday they have testing you have to be able to do so many reps of whatever and you have to send it into your position coach so there's accountability all the way down to the high school level where you're having to send in your video so these kids know just like what kip said it's not the same thing is being there with Scott Sinclair in front of you, but they're in a lot better shape and they're holding up a lot better than than the average person. Uh, there's a lot of accountability there. Uh, they're turning in their weights. I know I talked to one school, interesting, one school does this. They make their kids Zoom their workouts with a position coach. So position coach watches seven or eight guys on the screen at one time. So there's different ways and different avenues. I thought that was very interesting, uh, talking to these schools. So there's accountability on the high school level. There is guaranteed going to be accountability. I think the biggest thing I, I, I think about is the weight. What weight? What are these kids eating? Because that's the biggest thing. that They don't get that calorie count they need every day. And there's no way possible you can get that when you're at home. It's just impossible. Are they holding good weight? I think the kids are in better shape. It's the weight. Number one, are you gaining too much of bad weight? Number two, are you losing weight because you're not getting the calories? And that's just plain and simple. We've talked about that on the podcast. Some kids' lives at home are different than others. Uh, and I'll say this about the weight thing. Like, the diet thing is the biggest thing. Cause it, and and you, you hit it a little bit. But, I mean, shoot, man. I can only sure. go all me. I can go only go off my thing. And mine is I'm eating what's easy because I'm raising two kids at home. And I know these guys don't have that same thing. But they've got finals coming up and all that. Like that is that's difficult. That's difficult when you're stuck at home and you're trying to figure that out. But you know, Rusty, I, I want to kind of circle back to you talking about the Zoom thing. What did we say when this whole thing went down? Our first podcast after everything shut down, we said, you know, that the history is going to favor the 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 staffs that did whatever is going to be what whatever is going to eventually be put into to uh, uh, protocol in the future you know if something like this because you know with with this whole thing going down and it being kind of a uh you know uncharted territory you know that every school in the country is going to put together some sort of notebook or some sort of contingency plan going forward to be like all right if this happens again this is what we're going to do well 
there are some schools out there doing some things, and, and, and there's some things we don't know about more than likely that are right. going to be in those contingency plans. They're going to be in everybody's contingency plan next time because somebody got creative and figured out a way to make this happen and, and a way to kind of get it all going in a creative way that, that nobody else really thought of, and, and everybody's going to want to have thought of that second time around. And uh, I, I'm just interested to see, Rusty, you and I were talking about it, you know, and Kirby mentioned this too about how much work, more work they were able to get done with the Zoom calls. I wonder if we're ever going to see SEC spring meetings again because I wonder if they're just going to do those on Zoom calls and and save time and money. These coaches don't have to get on planes and and go down to uh, you know go down to Destin and and things like that. So there there's just a lot of change I think is going to end up being born out of this thing and and uh, I think a lot of it is going to kind of be who who kind of came up with the idea and it's going to be a copycat thing and uh, eventually I think everybody's going to kind of be on the same page and it's going to in, in some ways maybe revolutionize communication as to what's going on and, and, and coaches ability to track what's going on you've got the Apple Watch thing with Alabama that they kind of went through there and and uh, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated to, to know what things are going to look like a year two years five years from now because I think they're going to look much different uh, let's jump into a break real quick, uh, and and we're going to talk about recruiting on the other side. Like I said, going to give you guys a full dose of Mansell and Adams and, and, and their recruiting talk on, on the second half of the show, but let's take a quick break first. All right, guys, Georgia is trending with some guys in the 247 Sports Crystal Ball. Uh, really don't even know where to start, so I'll start – Closest to to home to UGA and and Deion Colsey, uh, what's Kip? What's going on there? And and kind of how big of a target is he for Georgia? I mean, he's a guy that the Georgia just never stopped recruiting. I mean, he was when he committed to uh, Notre Dame last fall. They stayed in touch. They stayed on him. And you know, when he opened things back up, uh, you know, last month it was it was or the month before that actually losing track of months here i guess we're in may now but when he reopened his recruitment i mean it was just kind of georgia kind of moved to the forefront as the the program that's kind of made the most sense in all of this and a pro, you know they've they've gotten them on campus plenty of times and i just think that with location and that consistent communication and, and just the the fit and the need for for that big pass catcher you know in this offense georgia's is kind of that team that has the the buzz behind the scenes and his recruitment, but you know since since he reopened it, things up, uh, decommitting from Notre Dame, and he's gotten double digit offers since then. So you know his options have opened up. It's a thing where he might want to see some new programs, but but as of right now, I, I like where where Georgia sits for a guy that six four hundred ninety three pounds. Uh, right now a top fifty, top one hundred guy in the country. Right right in Georgia's uh, you know backyard there. Uh, you know, it, it's a lot of things are are in Georgia's favor right now with his recruitment. It it obviously doesn't hurt to have a quarterback committed in Brock Vandegrift that's also right down the road and obviously in his ear all the time. So I think, you know, Georgia's probably going to be pretty tough to beat there in his recruitment. And, you know, I can't say for sure how many wide receivers they get in this class, whether it's, you know, whether that's two, three you know, I think two's probably a good number to go with for right now after the class they signed in the, in the last cycle. And I like Dion to, to be one of those two guys as of right now in Georgia's class. Rusty, you've you've seen him. Uh, you've kind of you've covered him. You've seen him. You've you've probably seen him in person. I, I would imagine because I know you've made some trips to Athens. Uh, what do you think about him as a prospect? And what do you think about adding him? 
uh, if George is able to, to the, the receivers that they've recruited in the last two classes? I mean, I like him. He's probably 6'4", 190, probably a, a, a NFL combine shade right under 6'4". Uh, I had him in the Georgia Elite Classic as a freshman, uh, you know, kind of 6'2 kid. You could tell then he was uh, had some stuff about him. He wouldn't, couldn't really get a great scouting. I'll tell you what really kind of tipped me off was they had the state track meet at Barry, uh, up here at Barry College in Rome, and it was the single-A private and the 7A. So I go to watch a bunch of guys run, obviously mostly 7A guys. Well, I'm standing by the high jump deal and by the long jump pit. And you start hearing some ooh and an on, and, and, and I don't remember the individual that Dion was going against, but they basically got into a uh, one-on-one for the state championship. And the other kid, I think, was a senior. And Dion hadn't – he hadn't jumped more than six foot. And he's a freshman. He gets six-two, and they, you know, his crowd really goes crazy. So I kind of walk over and watch. Then he gets six-four. The other kid gets six-four. Uh, Dion, I think, takes a couple of shots at six six, and I'm, I mean, I believe he was six six. And man, I'm talking about the last thing he barely scraped it. He barely scraped it, fell off. The other kid wound up winning. So I know from that, I knew he was explosive, uh, and I started following him a little bit more. Uh, and, and listen, Athens Academy don't take anything from him because they have an unbelievable program, very successful program, but they don't throw the ball. So Dion's not going to get those flashy numbers. Now, he plays seven-on-seven seven with some teams, so we got to see him that way. And we also get to see him at free safety. Uh, so, you know, you put Deion Coles on a team that throws the ball, I don't tell him what kind of stats he has, but I will say this. There's no concern for ball skills, those type of things. He plays basketball. He's a really good basketball player. So he checks all the boxes. He's got incredible length. He's got verified times. He's got ver- you know a 40-inch vertical, I think, um, you know, at one of the Nike combines. So you look at him, and that's a kid in Georgia's backyard, wide receiver, very high academic. Uh, Kirby Smart's kids go to Athens Academy. You can bet that there's a lot of Georgia fans there. This kid has a committable offer at any time. So um, right down the street from from Athens and, and from University of Georgia. And I'm sure, Brock, like you said, Brock Vandegriff is spending a lot of time there when he can. Now, they're rival schools. Now, that's, that's a big-time rivalry between Prince in Athens on the private school level. So I'm not sure they're really hanging out and throwing each other, but you can bet that, that Brock knows, you know, it's going to be a better University of Georgia if he can get Deion Colsey to come in this class with him. Yeah, and, and big receivers like that, I, I think I've said this probably a billion times, I will always be somebody who is who is at very least interested in seeing what a 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", wideout can do because – you just don't have to separate to make big plays. It's just it's not something we saw in the game I grew up with as much, you know. And in in from you know the ni- early nineteen nineties to the early two thousands, you know, it was you needed guys that could separate. You needed your Jerry Rice's, who were your who were your great route runners, and your Michael Irvins, who were your physical wide receivers, but didn't necessarily rely on the 50-50 ball, and Colsey is the kind of guy who can really flourish in that area, and and all of those big wide receivers are. Some of them are better at it than others. I mean, J- Javon Wims was a stud. He wasn't even quite, I don't think, 6'3", 
I think he was like 6'2 and 7'8 at the NFL combine. So you don't necessarily have to be 6'3, but just watching what some some of those guys have been able to do on those 50-50 balls. I mean, heck, Terry Godwin was a pretty good 50-50 ball guy, and I think he was sub six feet. Uh, you know, so Odell Beckham's another guy who's good at that. So uh, so a lot of it comes down to hands, but you just really kind of put a circle around the really big wide receivers because they don't necessarily have to do what other receivers have to do to make big plays. Uh Let's let's run over Chaz Chambliss here real quick. Rusty, you came out last week, said that he's a he's a major target for Georgia. He's trending in the crystal ball to Georgia as well. There's yep. a little bit of discussion as to kind of where he fits. Tell us what you know about him and kind of where he fits if Georgia were able to land him. You know, I kept telling the board um, for a while now that listen, every source I talked to says that Chaz Chambliss was a guy that Georgia has targeted. Now, I, I mean, he's not ranked where probably some people on the board. Uh, compared to some others in the 24-7 sports rankings. He's a three-star. But I think that that um, I, I wanted to keep relaying that. I knew that Chad Shamless was high on Georgia's board. They recruited him hard. Dan, in fact, you know, if you read the article last week, Dan, earlier this week, that, uh, Dan Lanning and Scott Cochran, he said, man, you know, they have called me like ev- – we've talked like every day for 30 days in a row because I feel like I've talked to Georgia since February. And – you know, they've told him no matter what, listen, you can commit here. Like, come, they're trying to get him in this class. When you look at Chaz, I talked to him, and, and uh, this is a young man that's put together now. I mean, it, this is a, this is, this kid is flat out the old school word yoked up. He is, he is put together. Now, I asked him last week, I said, where, where are you at, height and weight and size and everything? And he said, a little over 6'3, 240 pounds, 242, I think. I think he's a guy that's uh, going to play outside linebacker. I think he's got um, a lot of uh, powerful – he's a powerful guy that, you know, if you're going to play at Georgia, if you're going to play at Alabama, you've got to be able to rush the passer. you got to be able to those things. But, Jake, you know this. First and foremost, you better be able to set the edge, and you better be able to hold your point and hold your gap on those jet sweeps and those types of things and – be able to free your outside hand when you're engaged with a tackle uh, because, you know, that situation there, if you can't do that, you're you're only going to get in on third downs. If you know – if you're not a, able to stop the run in SEC, you have a hard time getting on the field for Alabama and Georgia. Uh, Florida, same way, with Grantham and those deals. So, you know, I think he's a guy they look at like he he's going to be a guy that can hold it in space. Uh, he obviously can rush to pass. He plays a little bit inside linebacker for Carrollton at times. You know, I called around, and uh, I'll be honest too. I called the Rome staff, and um, you know they they don't have a dog in the fight. And I said, "What do you guys think about Chaz Chambliss?" And man, they couldn't have been spoke higher. I mean, they're like, "We're ready for that kid to move on." Like he gave them fits last year in that game. And I'll say this: when I broke him down a little bit, the two best games Chaz Chambliss had last year, the two best games Chaz Chambliss had, not even close was against Rome in a really, really close game that Carrollton won. His second game was Buford in a game they lost in the last minute. And he played great against Buford. So you look at all that, and that's the kind of competition you want to see a kid uh, excel in and play at a high level. And I think Chaz Chambliss is a guy that I certainly think, by making that crystal ball, that I certainly think he's going to be in this class for Georgia. And, uh, again, you know, regardless of what you think, he is a big target uh, and, you know, with the valuation Georgia, he's a guy they want. 
Yeah, I think when you look at outside linebacker for Georgia, you kind of think about Nolan Smith and Jermaine Johnson and these kind of freak athletes who can bend the edge and get after the passer. But uh, if you look at the snap count, uh, amongst Georgia's outside linebackers and kind of the way they use guys in specific roles. There's no doubt in my mind that a guy like Chaz Chambliss has a role because of the way he will put his face on blockers and the way he will take on blockers and, and the way at the very least, you know, you can develop a pass rush ability in a guy. You can kind of help a guy with his get off and, and his ability to kind of get out of his stance. Uh, but, but you can't necessarily teach a guy how to, how to just be a hammerhead against the run. And, and Dan, that was a term Dan Lanning used for Nolan Smith, who is the total package. That's why he was the number one prospect in the country. But when you're looking at Georgia, and I'm sure this is a thing Kip's going to hit on when I ask him about it, so I don't necessarily want to steal his thunder. But they're, they're, they're going to take two, maybe three outside linebackers, maybe five, six total linebackers in this class. If you're going to do that, you're going to need to kind of fill some roles and some specialty things. And, and that's, that's an area where Chaz Chambliss can kind of help you out. Uh, Kip, I, I hope I didn't swipe anything from you there, but, but I, I want to hear what you got to say about Chambliss. I mean, again, he sets the physical edge. Uh, he's obviously, if we're talking about roles in Georgia's defense, I think he fits right in there that, as that Sam linebacker who, again, is not always on the field in that specific role, but he knows what he does well. Again, he's a guy that's going to knock your jock on the ground. I mean, he gets underneath, he knows how to use leverage, and he knows how to use his power. Uh, again, setting that physical edge, I just think – he has an energy that he brings to the to the table as an all day, every day, every snap player that that's going to help you on rundowns and passing downs. I, I think, you know, he's not always going to rush from the edge, but I just think that there are aspects of his game that get a little bit, you know, underestimated as far as just how much pass rush value he brings to the table, the flexibility he has as well. I mean, I talked to to a lot of coaches just during the week just to get their opinion of him. And, I mean, again, they all hated playing this guy. The The Woodland coach said that his players get a case of the Chaz the week that they, they have to play this team. And, and then, you know, they all dreaded having to go up against this guy. I just think that you look at what he can bring to the table as far as just uh, you know, the power that he has right now, the size that it brings to the table, he'll be able to play at like 6'3", 255 pounds. And again, he's going to make it a point to physically challenge the guy in front of him. And he's going to do that, whether it's the offensive tackle in front of him, whether he's facing the tight end. And I, I think just that relentless effort he's going to bring to the table, he's going to play some pass rush downs and he's going to get home. He's going to get to the quarterback based on that motor, based on that leverage ability, and, and also just, again, based on the fact that he knows how to use his power to his advantage. And, I mean, he's he's not going to play hero ball. He knows his assignment. And I, I just think that when you're looking at how Georgia rotates their linebackers in, how they love they love having versatility, but they also they love having guys out there that they know are going to be able to do certain things well. And, and I think that Chaz brings a lot to the table in that in that regard. And I don't think that George is going to be worried about not getting, you know, a lot out of him. I, I think he's definitely a guy that if if George is able to land his commitment, 
he can help out that team for sure. It's up to them to figure out how to use him the best. But, I mean, he's got a lot of potential. And there are a lot of guys that are similar to him that played a lot of snaps at SEC programs over the last decade. And, and, I mean, they've gone on to the next level as well. I just think he's a guy that can really help out any program in the country and, and brings a lot more to the table than maybe he's getting credit for. Now, Georgia picked up a couple crystal balls today, on, and this is the last guy I kind of want to hit on, is Dylan Fairchild, 6'5", 298-pound offensive guard, interior guy uh, that, that kind of has some tackle size but is marked as an interior guy out of West Forsyth. Now, there's a there's a ra- ratings dispar- uh, discrepancy here. Uh, 247 Sports, which is just us, 24-7 Sports, just in-house rankings, number 42 nationally, number two offensive guard, and number five in the state of Georgia. The composite, which takes into account ESPN and uh, and Rivals.com's rankings, 158 nationally, the number nine offensive guard, and 13th in Georgia. Uh, Rusty, I know you like this kid a lot. Uh, Georgia's got a little bit of steam going with him. What do you think about him? Love him. You know, it checks all the boxes as we go forward with our data. The wrestling is a big deal. You know, everybody talks about the leverage and all those things you learn with wrestling. To me, when you look at a wrestler who's successful, helps. But it's the work ethic. What it takes in a mind and discipline to do, to have your body in peak, you know, condition, uh, you're sitting there wrestling one-on-one. There's nobody that you're not going to tag anybody. You're not going to take a playoff. Wrestling is one-on-one, and he's very successful at a heavyweight division, 7A in Georgia. So that checks all the boxes. Then you see him. As a matter of fact, I just talked to him today. Got a story coming on Monday and told me today he's 300 pounds. He said he can get to 280 in the drop of a hat, which is I told him that's a blessing. Uh, he stays between 280 and 300 to get down to wrestle. Uh, I asked him if he was going to be early enrollee wherever he went. He said no. Uh, I don't want to give away the whole article, but you know I don't think a, a decision's coming anytime soon from him. But I do think Georgia is way, way in this thing, um, and, and Matt Luke is making him understand, you know, what type of priority is. Auburn's another school that has definitely uh, told him he's a priority. But when you start looking at him as a player, it would not surprise me at all if he stayed at tackle in college. Uh, because he's got, uh, you know, he can carry 300 so easy, may wind up moving down. Didn't have a problem doing either. So we'll see. But, man, what a powerful kid. Uh, great young man talking to him. And, and uh, 24-7, he's certainly for us. And the data that we have based off how we do our you know, rankings with NFL projections, man, he, he checks a ton of boxes. Kip, what, what's kind of your assessment of, of Dylan Fairchild? I think anytime you can verify just size and athleticism at the offensive line position, it's outstanding, which is kind of what played into Dylan's rise in, in our rank, rankings. But always sign me up for a guy who knows how to use leverage in the wrestling game as far as linemen are concerned. And he's a guy that he went 47 and 0. I mean, it was, and, and it wasn't, it was a state title run where. He dominated. He made quick work out of most of his opponents. And so, you know, that 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 checks all the boxes for me. And then also, just look at the film. He's got outstanding film. I know we're all high on Amarius Mims out of Bleckley County in Georgia. We've talked about this offensive line class in Georgia and how it's it's one of the best we've seen. 
but but Dylan, it, you know, put on the the film for for Dylan Fairchild. It's some of the best in the country for sure, and he's also out there making plays at defensive tackle as well. So again, like Rusty said, he's he's changing weight. You know, off off season, he's getting down to wherever it's two eighty, whatever weight he's wrestling at. But then he's you know he's able to get back up into the two nineties and play at that level and keep that uh, you know that athleticism, that mobility. And I, I love just how fluid he looks, you know, on, on the defensive line as well. So you, you just kind of put all that together and it just gives you a lot to like. It's, it's kind of a, an easy decision to, to have a guy like that inside the top 100, inside the top 50. We've been, you know, just able to verify all the, you know, the film matches up to the verified athleticism, the measurements, you know, the wingspan the versatility to play multiple positions on the offensive line. His technical skill, again, on film is outstanding. That makes him easily one of the best offensive line prospects in this class. And again, a guy that we've pointed to when we were talking about the main guys in this class, keep an eye on him. Well, now here it is. He's there. He's emerged as one of the big guys. And I kind of agree with Rusty. He's a guy that will probably put out, you know, whether he has a top list released this month, you know, I think there's kind of two sets of, of of prospects right now in the cycle. The guys that kind of want to secure their spot and, and get it done now, and the guys that still still want to take visits and still want to see schools, and they're kind of holding out for the ability to do that again. I still kind of lean on Dylan Fairchild as one of those guys that does, you know, want to see Auburn, South Carolina, kind of Tennessee, see those programs and see Georgia again. That being said, Georgia's in a pretty good spot right now, and Matt Luke still has a chance to have a special offensive line class of potentially all in-state, uh, you know, commitments for Georgia this cycle. Uh, I'll say this about him, and and you know we're about wrapped up here, but I've I've heard you guys talk about him. I've read just about everything I can read on the kid, and I've I don't see anybody really saying yeah, but about him it's it's all positive it's all good it's all high upside and uh, to me that kind of makes him a little bit of a unicorn when it comes to offensive linemen because there's always something that 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 folks want to kind of harp on it's it's hand placement or, or hand usage or or feet or or needs to add weight needs to lose weight and and this kid just seems to like you guys have said check off all the boxes and uh, I think that's you know you have your answer as to why you know Georgia would be uh, you know, would be recruiting him so hard and going after him even as an interior guy when it's so much harder to find those guys who can play tackle uh, folks that's all we've got for this show uh, we're going to be back with you guys again this week on Wednesday. I haven't decided on a topic there, but uh, we'll, we'll have plenty to talk about for sure. But uh, in the meantime, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you haven't subscribed, please do so. Rate us. Give us your feedback. Give, give us some feedback on, on iTunes and kind of let us know how you feel about it or wherever you listen to your podcast. And then review. You, give us a review. Let us know kind of what you where we're at as far as the, the where everything else is in terms of your podcast. And, and we want you we want to know what you think about us. And uh, and we also really appreciate you for listening and, and giving us a shot. But uh, for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell. And uh, you guys take care. 